everybody, Dan Urban and Scott Fontana back for another post-fight night edition of the Couchside Judges. Normally, Scott and I would have a loaded plate of rounds we and the masses saw different from the judges. Not this time. With the judges for the first UFC event at UFC Apex doing such a fantastic job scoring the fights, we've only got a few minor gripes. But don't worry, because we've still got a full show for you anyway. We sure do, Danny. We've got some great welterweight storylines coming out of Gilbert Burns' upset victory over Tyron Woodley. Sure, Dan and I both picked Burns, but that was a big win regardless for the underdog. With fewer rounds to break down from Saturday, we've also got time to fit in a past judgment. We'll look at Amanda Nunes' first win over Valentina Shevchenko from 2016 ahead of her UFC 250 title fight at the end of this week. So, Dan, let's, let's talk about Gilbert Burns. Huge victory, right? This was... His best performance, he came in there, showed the world that he's ready for a title shot. If he gets it, I don't know. But he went in there and he pretty much dominated Tyron Woodley. Woodley just had nothing for him. Oh, he was incredible. He reminded me so much of how dominant Kamara Usman was against Woodley last year. It was, it was every bit as dominant. You know, I think it really just comes down to these powerful grapplers. Just give Woodley fits. Yeah, maybe he relied a lot on his wrestling to prevent being taken down so he could land those big rights. Uh, and it's just not happening for him anymore. These last two fights that he's come out there, we keep hearing, oh, you know, Tyron Woodley has this amazing takedown defense. Is it 96%, 94%? I don't remember the numbers of exactly off the top of my head, but Damian Maya went for and failed on a bunch of takedowns, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, Maya's not the same wrestler as Usman and Burns. Those were so many. T- I feel like like kind of inflated his stats almost is, is kind of what I'm getting at. But, you know, it, credit to Burns, though. He looked great. His takedowns were much better than I think anybody thought they would be against Woodley. Yeah, and he's a world-class grappler. He is. Yeah, once you once you add the two, it's just like, ooh, that's a nightmare scenario. But, you know, Woodley held on. I thought my prediction of a sub was going to come true that first round. He, he grabbed that neck. I was like, oh, my God, he's going to get it. <laughs> no, we know that didn't happen. You had the sub and I had the decision, so I was, you know, I was more right. Oh, we yeah. were still right together. That's okay. <laughs> uh, you know, we're not keeping score or anything. But, uh, you know, another thing I really loved about Burns before we move on about Woodley in particular is I got to say I love that he's the latest fighter to find success at a higher weight class. So not cutting as much weight. I just love seeing that. I, I would rather these fighters come in healthier it's better for them long term. And I think they put out better results and we're seeing it a lot more. Sacrificing some of your probably stamina the most just to be the bigger guy. I don't think it's worth that. Oh, forget I mean it's it's stamina, but it's also your ability to take a punch, you know, without as much watering your body, there's less protecting your brain. And that's I mean, you can't just rehydrate that in twenty four hours. You're you're much more susceptible. Yeah, especially since you're not allowed to use IVs to rehydrate anymore. Exactly. So yeah, I mean, fight, fighting's dangerous enough. Why compound it, right? Yeah, I wish people would just fight at their their normal weight. Oh yeah, I mean no weight cut that would be ideal, but that's not happening. But uh, you know, as far as Tyron Woodley goes, what do you make of his future now? I don't know. He didn't seem all that down on himself. No, he he said he was very at peace for a fighter who just got his butt whooped. So uh, where he goes from here, I I don't see him retiring. I don't see him retiring. I don't think he should retire in the sense that he doesn't have it anymore. He doesn't look like a championship contender anymore. That's for sure. But I mean, yeah, he got dominated, but I do think you put him against the right, even top 10 guys. He's still going to look really good. 
I'm thinking, you know, Michael Chiesa wants a, a big name. He called out Kobe Covington. I don't know if he's going to get that fight. Why not do Chiesa versus Woodley? You know, my thinking was actually they go back to a fight they tried to book last year, the Robbie Lawler rematch. Why not? Oh, you can do that one too. That'd be fun. I mean, these are, you know, two of the probably four greatest welterweights of all time. You know, give it another round. Why not? I, I would love to see that. There's no stakes. It's not like either of these guys is going to fight for the belt. Just just give each of them a fun, interesting fight for them. You yeah. know? Who doesn't want to watch Robbie Lawler? Oh, for sure. He's, he's magic every time. But what's next for Usman? Usman, after this. I see it being 100% uh, Masvidal. Yeah, it's probably going to be him. But who do you want to see? I want to see Burns. Me too. They're teammates. It's an interesting dynamic, I think training together you kind of know each other yeah they seem okay with that I, i'd like to see how that one plays out the other wild card here being leon edwards uh but i, I think he just kind of needs one more big win especially because he's kind of been sidelined so much and no one's really talking about him it's unfortunate because he really is a fantastic welterweight but yeah he's kind of getting lost in the shuffle yeah i, I think maybe what you could do is you could put him in against covington and just let one of them come out and you know let's say the winner comes out of that They'd have a, certainly a, a great case for uh, a title shot, too. But then we've got Burns and Masvidal. So. Yeah, and you don't want Usman on the shelf too long. It's, it's most likely going to be Masvidal, and then, then I don't know what's going to happen after that. Look, as long as it's not Conor McGregor, I'm okay. Yeah, I think I think this Burns win kind of removes Conor from the picture. <laughs> it shouldn't have had to, but maybe you're right. <laughs> but hey, you know, let's move on to contested rounds. Obviously, we don't have too many rounds that you and I are contesting here. But let's start with round one of Burns Woodley here. This this was really the interesting round in the sense that it looked like a 10-8 to every single person watching. But Judge Eric Cologne gave it a 10-9 for Burns. Now, I don't want to jump down Mr. Cologne's throat because obviously there's a lot going on when it comes to judging the angle that they're sitting at, the location of where things happen. The one thing that seemed to stick out with me when I was watching it over again is he appeared to be on the opposite side of the cage from where a lot of the grappling action was happening. So it's entirely possible he had a bad angle. Oh, he definitely could have had a bad angle. I mean, a lot of that stuff was on the opposite side of the cage from where he's sitting. I don't know. Burns was dominant in my eyes. I mean, we had the luxury of multiple camera angles being shown to us. So we, we didn't miss anything on TV. We saw everything from the big punch that rocked Woodley, the takedown, the mount, the somewhat uh, rear naked choke that I thought he was going to get. To me, it was just total offense for Burns, checking all three Ds. Damage duration, domination, absolutely. I, I agree here. I think you're right. Uh, Sal Diamato and Derek Cleary were the other two judges on this one, and they went 10-8 here. It looked like... Sal, in particular, had a very good angle because he was very close up. But even at that, as I was watching, he's got to navigate the fact that a UFC cameraman is coming in and trying to put the camera at the angle they need for television. And he's got to look over and around and under. And, you know, it kind of reminds you that, hey, sometimes when these judges are trying to judge a fight, they don't have the ideal conditions either. Right. I mean, we got eight panels uh, to work with here. Why can't three of them kind of be off limits for actual cameramen? Stick a fixed camera in on those panels, and you know the director of the production can switch to those when needed. Uh, I don't think it's fair to compromise the judge's view. 
And I also don't think they should be sitting on the door panels either. I mean, there's other panels we yes. can be we can move them to. The door has those two pads on. It's a little bit, you know, obstructed. Yeah, it's it's heavily obstructed because they have one more pillar that they have to deal with because of the door. And yeah, it, <laughs> it's almost like they welcome the controversy of judges not being able to do their job to the the best of their ability. And and I think that's unfortunate. But the judges do have monitors available to them. So as a fallback, they can always use that as a tool, at least for the UFC events. Um, this is not always the case uh, on the regional circuit or with other promotions. But, you know, when push comes to shove, uh, a judge like Sal, who I saw, again, was trying to look around the cameraman, he's, he wants to see it. He really wants to use his eyes. And that's what, if you're going to put the judge right next to the cage, that's what they ought to be doing. So credit to him. What a pro. Yeah, definitely. Great he job. gave the right score too. Yeah. Even with all that, you know, this is what they deal with all the time. And I think it's something people at home should really be thinking about. Because again, this is not to knock Eric Colon. I th- I think he's a great judge. He gave a minority score here. I don't know what his reasoning is. He's he's allowed to have his reasons. It's entirely possible it's related to something like that, just being on the opposite side of the cage. All right, we can move on to round four. The rest of the rounds, there's nothing really controversial. You saw it as a potential 10-8 round. Yeah, when I was watching this live, I gave it a 10-8 because uh, I like to post my scores on Twitter right away. I'm, I'm trying to watch these laser-focused. Nothing gets in my way. Uh, you know, My kids are in bed. My wife knows that I'm just trying to watch this. So you know, I have no distractions. I'm not tweeting or texting or anything. So I'm sitting there watching this, and I gave it a 10-8. And I went back and watched it today because I found out I was in the minority. And sure enough, yeah, I was wrong. This is a 10-9 round. I was wrong here. I am not a trained judge. Dan and I are not trained judges. We, I would say, are enthusiasts. We take it seriously when it comes to this show. Uh, we study up as best as we can on the criteria and how the judges apply it. But, yeah, I messed up on that one. Probably because I'm just not a trained judge like the other guys, you know? But that's all right. I just want to point out that, you know, we like to post every round that we watch live on Twitter the same way a judge would have to, because they got to turn their scores in immediately. They do. We try to put ourselves in their shoes as best as possible. Yeah. But, you know, that's that's why when it comes to putting my scores up, I try not to get too ramped up about a dissenting opinion when it comes to a score, unless, <laughs> you know, sometimes emotions can get you, and you're like, what are you thinking? But I always watch it back again the next day to at least decide, okay, is there some other way I should be looking at this? And sometimes I say yes, sometimes I say no. Now, I bet a lot. I bet a lot of judges do to go back, you know, hone their craft. Oh, I'm sure they. I'm sure they all do. I, you know, and any judge who cares about his or her job uh, is going to put in the work and try to get better. And I again am not a trained judge, so I gave it wrong. That's a ten nine round. I would say in our couchside judges scoring system, that's a ten eight. Yeah, def- definitely potential there for the 10-8 not a 10-7 which is essentially right. the equivalent to a, a regular 10-8 right that's all we have for the main event everyone was pretty spot on let's move on to the co-main event augusto sakai over blagoy Ivanov. yeah this was an interesting split decision in the two judges went 29 28 for sakai and one judge went 30 27 for Ivanov. you don't see those type of scores all that often where someone goes drastically the other way i had a 29 28 for sakai I did too, but only upon rewatch because when I watched it the first time, I had 30-27 for Sakai where I gave round one, which I definitely should not have. So again, 
mea culpa. I, you know, I'm, I'm definitely not a pro yet. We're, we're all learning here. <laughs> yeah. But I think round two was the more debatable round of this fight. Yeah, that was, that was probably the closest round. Um, when, especially watching over again and realizing like how wrong I was about round one Two, you could understand why uh, it could go both ways. Now, the minority opinion here, the 30-27 score came from Michael Bell, whereas the 29-28s were Junichiro Camillo and Ron McCarthy. Yeah, I definitely agree with Camillo and McCarthy here. I think 30-27 is a bit of a stretch. I think round three, Sakai landed pretty visibly better. But again, I mean, they were against the fence a lot. His uh, back could have been to them. He may not have seen the strikes. I, I don't know. Yeah, it's hard to say why why Bell went one way drastically the other way. Uh, you know, again, only can he can speak to it. But as far as speculation goes, you know, he he seemed to have a good angle. You know, he was sitting right in front of the the U.S. Army logo. But yeah, I I really thought this was actually pretty decently clear for Sakai both times I watched it. Right, and round two, I can understand when the takedown happened. Uh, you know, on TV, it didn't look like it was very effective ground and pound, but he's right there. Maybe he's feeling it different, and that's what uh, swayed him because it was qu- quite even on the feet. Yeah, I, I thought Sakai was landing great kicks and better punches overall. I, I really did think it was it was just a, a better round for him, mm-hmm. pretty clearly. And yes, that takedown, maybe it looks different from a different angle, or maybe he's sensing something you and I aren't. But no, I didn't think anything really came of that. And it was not effective offense because, you know, you're looking for results. You're not looking for actions. You know, the takedown itself isn't the thing. What do you do with it? I didn't see much of anything. But round three, that I thought was even clearer. However, the big thing from this round, of course, was referee Jason Herzog kind of missing the uh, this fence grab on a potential even off takedown. Sakai was able to keep himself up, and DC did not like that. He let the entire arena know. Oh, yeah. Well, the entire arena so, being this one warehouse. Yeah. Daniel Cormier also was a little loud on his own. But <laughs> then he started whispering like, oh, wait, I got to. He definitely realized how loud he got <laughs> and was like, oh, no, I can't do that. Especially when it comes to even being his teammate because of the way it looks. And, you know, credit to him. I've, I'm pretty sure he admitted later on that, you know, he could be biased. So having said that, this was a bad foul. Herzog missing that is you know, it, it can be tough to catch those fence grabs in those situations. It, you know, they're big men. Maybe the angle he had, he was missing it too. But, oh my goodness, that's that's a tough one to swallow. It's most likely a one-point foul. So this could have been the difference between a, a majority draw and a split decision win. Yes, it really was critical here. I'm of the belief that you need to be much more strict about taking points away to discourage fighters from doing things they're not supposed to be doing. So, you know, if it was up to me... I'd say if you're if you're poking eyes, losing a point right away. They they know they're not supposed to do it. Uh, you know if you're grabbing the fence like this on a takedown, take a point. And I kind of wish that there was some sort of review system that was in place that even after the fight is over, if they could go back and deduct points in the aftermath for very clear fouls, I'm okay with that. But you know nonetheless, what we have here is a 29-28 victory for Sakai on two judges' cards again. Bell went the other way, but, you know, in the end, it didn't end up making a difference. The right guy won. We did have one other potential 10-8 round that, you know, some went that way, some didn't. And this was on the undercard when Chris Gutierrez 
got the second round leg kick TKO over Vince Morales. In round one, Junichiro Camillo gave that a 10-8, just like Dan and I, whereas Adelaide Bird and Eric Colon only went 10-9. What did you see when you saw that round? Was that, I mean, obviously that was a 10-8, but, but why? I just saw total striking dominance from Gutierrez. Those leg kicks were damaging. He did it through the, the entire round. He was in, you know, he was an offensive fighter the entire round. Morales had one moment that I can remember where he kind of was against the fence and, and he threw, I believe it was a punch, and that was what backed up Gutierrez. But that was that was the extent of it. It was it was almost a shutout. Right, yeah, that was, it was a good right. It kind of seemed like a little off balance after it. Yeah, um, it looked that way. But yeah, I don't think that was enough to prevent the ability for a judge to give it a 10-8. Uh, so, yeah, obviously I, I side with Camillo there. Again, not sure what the reasoning would be from uh, Bird or Cologne here, but, yeah, they went 10-9, and, again, it didn't end up mattering in the long run because this fight didn't last a whole lot longer. It went about, what, four and a half minutes longer? Yeah, and they got the right they got the right guy, so. They did, yeah, but, you know, you, you definitely want to be able to see 10-8s being given out on the regular. But these judges had a great night overall. So what did they get right? Oh, man. Dan, they got a lot right. They had a great night, like you said. Daniel Rodriguez, 30-27 over Gabriel Green. All three judges went that way. Caitlin Chukagian getting 30-25s over Antonina Shevchenko. And you don't see a lot of unanimous 30-25s, so I, I was very pleased in that one in particular. Billy Quarantillo, 29-28 over Spike Carlisle, and that was a tough one to score. The fact that they got that right. That's real huge. That fight was insane. When I scored it live, I gave uh, Quarantillo a 10-8 in round three. I didn't get a chance to rewatch it yet, but uh, I feel I'm most likely wrong. <laughs> I would disagree with you, and obviously the judges did too. I think you'll probably find what I did, which was, you know, maybe maybe it just wasn't quite as dominant as you were really thinking. But, you know, they got round one of Tim Elliott correct, giving it to him. Uh, even though he ended up getting submitted in round two by Brandon Royval. And then also the same thing, round one for Roosevelt Roberts over Brock Weaver. Yeah, they really had a great night. The fighters had a great night, and the judges had a great night. It was no controversy, really, at all. This is probably top five cards I've ever seen. Really? That's high praise. This I had so much fun watching this card, and I really did not go into it with high hopes. All right, I can understand that. I yeah, I mean, I had a great time. I, I'm not going to complain too much. You know, the, I would say probably things slowed down at the heavyweight fight, but that was <laughs> that was poor planning as far as the bout order, as far as I'm concerned. That should have that should been much farther down. They, who really looked at that and said, "Oh yeah, that's going to be the one that ignites them before the main event." I mean, it could be that we had sub after sub after sub that is weighing heavy in my uh, in my head. But yes, you do love your subs. That is true. We had a bunch of them. What was your favorite from the night? I had two. I had Brandon Royville in right. his UFC debut getting the arm triangle choke. Beautiful technique. I told you you'd like him. Yep. Hashtag bonus for Royville. <laughs> and Mackenzie Dern's knee bar was uh, exceptional. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, <laughs> she was going to nail that once uh, <laughs> Once Cyphers didn't move away. She I mean, used the, the Jamie Cruz put the heel under the armpit. To finish. Jamie Cruz, our professor. <laughs> what about you? Who was, what was your favorite uh, finish? 
Oh, Gutierrez with the leg kick TKO. You just don't get too many of those. And and oh my goodness, he was he was knocking his leg on the left side, and then he switched stances and he was able to knock him down on the right. Was, <laughs> I can't imagine Morales is walking around very. Oh, uh, he might not be. He might have just sat on the couch today and and done nothing. Just iced his leg. I think they said on the broadcast that was the tenth leg kick TKO in UFC history. That is what they said. I know two of them are from Edson Barboza. I know that Amanda Nunez has one of them. Uh, I can't remember the rest of them off the top of my head. But hey, that's four. Yeah, there was a guy on one of the tough early toughs, one or two, on the finale episode that got it. I, I forget the name. Oh, 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 and there was also the Matt Hughes beating Henzo Gracie. Oh, Henzo Gracie with legs. Yep. Yeah, that, that was that was unfortunate. But yeah, great night of fights overall. So let's move on to less DB judge then. This is where we, of course, every week we grade the judges. And, you know, sometimes we have better grades for them than others. But, I mean, who do you not give a great grade to here? This was great for everybody, I think, right? Yeah, I really don't have a bottom judge. If I had to pick one, I would have to just go Mike Bell because we disagreed on Sakai versus Ivanov. Yeah, he was obviously the minority judge there on two rounds, not just one. I'm still giving him a B plus. I, you know, I feel like I probably gave a harsher grade than I should have. You know, C plus, what does a grade matter? Michael Bell shouldn't care right. what I said. Yeah. But, you know, he's a terrific judge anyway. I continue to trust him. But, you know, high praise especially to Sal Amato, Ron McCarthy, Derek Cleary, Junichiro Camillo, and Tony Weeks. They were flawless as far as I'm concerned. They got every single round exactly the same way I saw it. D'Amato, McCarthy, Cleary, and Camillo, they I gave them actually A pluses because they had perfect scores where other judges did not have the exact same score as them. I can't say enough about the judging. I really hope that uh, this is just the judges, you know, they're they're locked in, they're in the zone. I'm excited for what's uh, to come. I mean, fights are back. They're on schedule now. We're probably going to see a card every week. And I definitely trust the way Nevada was running things. They seem to have things much more under control than when the UFC was governing itself in Florida. <laughs> I gave, you know, all the judges you mentioned, A+, plus, uh, all A's. Everyone got an A. Yeah, I mean, you know, I disagreed with a couple of Eric Colon's rounds, too. But, you know, I, I still thought he had a great night overall. He, yeah, it's, it's just a 10-8 versus 10-9 debate, and that's really it. No one turned in more scores than Eric Colon did, actually. He, he had a grade 12 rounds, and I still agreed with 10 of them. So I, th- I thought he had a good night, too. Yeah. So since we didn't have many rounds to contest from Saturday, Dan and I... Figured we can slip in a past judgment for you guys. This week, we'll be looking at two fights between Amanda Nunez and Valentina Shevchenko, with Nunez obviously the headliner for this coming Saturday. We'll save their championship rematch for later in the week, so we'll get to their three-round affair right after Dan goes over how the CSJ scoring system works. Yeah, our scoring system is basically a modified version of ABC's criteria, which is used by most commissions. We just have a few key differences. Like certified judges, we evaluate rounds using the three Ds, damage, dominance, and duration, in that order. We've made it so a strong 10-9 round would be scored as a 10-8, while a traditional 10-8 round becomes a 10-7. Closer rounds would still just be 10-9s, even if only by a small margin. This allows for more diverse scores in the hope of more accurately reflecting what happens in a fight. We also dropped aggressiveness and area control as tiebreakers, but these things aren't intended to be used very often anyway, as we can only give 10-10s in largely uneventful rounds. Scott, set up Nunez, Shevchenko won. Yeah, so we're talking about UFC 196 at MGM Grand in Vegas. This was back on March 5th, 2016. It was actually on the main card 
of the first Conor McGregor Nate Diaz fight. Yeah, what a great fight. That was. That was obviously one of the greatest fights that we've had in the last probably five, ten years. But Nunes had won two in a row coming into this one. Four of her first five in the UFC. You know, we're still talking about an up and coming Nunes. The latest victory she had was a tap out of Sarah McMahon. And right before that, a leg kick TKO, just like I mentioned, of current WWE star Shayna Baszler. Valentina was still a relatively unknown fighter. She had won an upset over Sarah Kaufman in her UFC debut on about a week's notice at the end of the previous year. She was 12-1, and but had been an active pro kickboxer until the year before, and a very accomplished one as well. The judges for this fight were Lester Griffin, Junichiro Camillo, and Glenn Trowbridge with the referee Herm Deed. So, Dan, what did you see in round one? Round one, I saw Shevchenko not really doing much, sort of really feeling out for pretty much the entire round. Nunez landed some pretty good strong combos. Uh, she got a takedown, was landed some good ground and pound, including a strong elbow. Really thought it was uh, a 10-9 Nunez round. Yeah, you're right. Shevchenko was very much just kind of waiting to, to counter. It was a feeling out round for her. and uh, you know I think she probably wasted a little bit of an opportunity to try and push the action here because what we ended up seeing is a fight that kind of had a strange flow to it. But there was just some wasted time there. I did think it was still really close before Nunez got the takedown and then you know had those good shots while she was postured up. But ultimately, it didn't matter. Yeah, absolutely. We're talking about a 10-9 round here. Did the judges agree with us? They did. They did. You know, with the tepid kind of feeling out here, you definitely can't give much duration. Definitely a low degree of damage from both. So, yeah, that we're only 10-9, only even in our system. How about round two? Round two, monster round for Nunez. This this was almost out of nowhere considering what we saw in the first round. She, was, she just pounded on her for most of the round. Awesome ground and pound. Opened up a big cut right on the left eyebrow of Shevchenko. And she got Shevchenko's back. Had a great rear naked choke attack too. I mean, this was very, very great damage. Yeah, solid offense the entire round. Yeah, good. at least more than four minutes, right? Yes, Shevchenko had... No answer, really. She was just defensive the whole round. I'm giving it a 10-7 Nunes. It's funny. I actually put down in my notes, had no answer. So, obviously, we're simpatico here. <laughs> I also went 10-7. All three Ds definitely checked the boxes. She was beating on Shevchenko pretty badly here. Uh, Lioness feasting on her kill. Well, not quite her kill. She almost got the kill. She couldn't She couldn't finish the Mataleo. <laughs> what about the judges? The judges for this one, we had two went 10-8. This was Griffin and Trowbridge for Nunez. 10-9 came from Camillo, who, funnily enough, was the only one who gave 10-8 to Gutierrez from Saturday. So it shows, at least to me, how well he's adopted to the clarified judging scoring criteria that we've had in the last few years. For sure. I definitely see that's really the score you should be going here. Now, obviously... With such a dominant round here, cumulatively, since we had the same score, 20 to 16 Nunes on our cards. Yeah, so Shevchenko has to finish on our card to get the W. Obviously, on the real judges' cards that night, with 10 eighths for two out of three, you're talking about Nunes is up three points on two of the cards. So, without question, she needs a finish because she can't even really muster a draw. What about round three? Round three. 
it goes the other way. Shevchenko just comes at her with this offense that it's almost like, hey, where was this before? <laughs> you know, she, she hurt Nunes standing, gets the lioness down, moves to the crucifix, which is a favorite position of hers. This was kind of the first exposure that I really got to it. And she's pounding on Nunes down there. Yeah, this was a great round for Bullet. Like you said, landed that big elbow, which rocked Nunes, took her straight down with a strong takedown, straight to side control, was landing the ground and pound. She was the much better offensive fighter for uh, much of that round. Yeah, she was down there for for a while, but Nunes does escape to her feet, after which she really just didn't do enough to make up ground uh, from a damage perspective here. Right, and I don't think Shevchenko had much offense after that to push it to a 10-7 in our scoring system. Yeah, I would agree. Or a 10-8 in the traditional scoring system. So using the CSJ scoring system as we are here, I went 10-8 Shevchenko. As did I. Is that a first that we agreed on all three? Probably for a three-round fight, yeah. But we've, we've, I think we've seen things eye-to-eye uh, on five-round fights. I guess we'd have to go back and look. I'm curious what would have happened in this fight if Shevchenko had two more rounds because she seemed to really turn the table here. Yes, and I, you know, <laughs> Amanda Nunes has had questions about her gas tank before, and this was at a point in her career where she was not being forced to fight five-round fights. So, yes, you'd have to wonder how it would have been different. But, hey, you know, maybe if she's training for a five-rounder, maybe it's a different story too. Yeah, so how did the judges go for this round? This was all three of them went Shevchenko, and, you know, that's the right call. Like we, like we said, this is a 10-9 round in traditional ABC scoring which produced final scores of 29-27 for Nunez from both Griffin and Trowbridge and a 29-28 from Camillo, who only gave uh, the 10-9 rounds. On our cumulative scorecard, this is a 28-26 Nunez. Which, you know, pretty similar to what we saw, a two-point win, pretty much. Yeah, it's, it, it didn't change the result of this fight, but I do still think when you see 28-26 instead of 29-27, you're saying to yourself, oh, wow, okay, I guess... Shevchenko must have still had a pretty solid round there, even though she lost quite a few points from not having some a very good round in the middle. Right, so she lost four points somewhere, but she gained two at some point. So I, I just like the idea of being able to get a final score that looks more similar and tells, tells a better story of the fight that we saw. Now you still want to watch the fight, of course, to be able to tell. But at least when you can, you can kind of look back and say, "Oh, okay, twenty-eight, twenty-six. Like that would that would have been an interesting fight." Yeah, for sure. Yeah, this was only the second time actually that Nunes had gone the distance. Uh, the only other time previously was a loss in Invicta. So obviously, this was a tougher test for the Lioness. Yeah, and as we know now, you know Valentina Shevchenko is an absolute killer. So definitely a big test. I'd like to point out too that. Amanda used to train at the same gym as Dan and I, so take that where what you will. We don't try to play favorites or anything like that, but we certainly remember what Amanda was like much earlier in her career. Yeah, that was a wild gym at that time. It certainly was. We had killers in there. <laughs> Khabib used to come in, and, and Amanda was training there. And... It's funny that we're talking like we actually trained with them. We, we just watched. <laughs> no, no, no. Yeah, typically I would come in. <laughs> typically I would come in for jujitsu. Just as the pros were finishing up training. So, you know, we had, you know, guys like Jamie Varner and Jim and Dan Miller coming off. And they were just, you know, they were taking their water breaks and stuff and then heading back out. And then once they were done, Dan and I would roll in with our geese on and our white belts. And, you know, hey, we got up to blue. But, you know, (laughs) (laughs) we didn't train with them. 
for me, it's always very cool to look back and say, oh, man, look at these people who used to come to this little gym in a strip mall that are now two of the best fighters on the planet. And that's all for now for the Couchside Judges. Glad we were able to pack so much into one episode for you all. We'll be back at the end of the week to put Nunes Shevchenko 2 through past judgment. Plus, we'll look ahead to UFC 250 when Nunes defends the featherweight title against Felicia Spencer on pay-per-view. Make sure to subscribe to the show and follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Couchside Judges, as well as myself at Dan Urban MMA. Find me on Twitter also at Scott underscore Fontana. Until next time, stay healthy and safe. See ya! <laughs>